0: This is an ABC podcast. This is Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia.
1: Hello and welcome to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber. Near the village of Vailima in Samoa, there is a mansion on top of a hill. It has five bedrooms and a library. And when it was occupied in the 1890s, it had the only working fireplace in the country. Inside that house, there was also a tablecloth, a present from Queen Victoria, and a nude artwork by the famous French sculptor Rodin, gifted from the artist himself. The villagers nicknamed the man who lived there Tussitalla, Teller of Tales. This was the home of famed Scottish author Robert Louis Stevenson. He's known for books like Treasure Island... And strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And this is the setting of acclaimed Samoan writer, Sia Figel's latest creation, a one-person play called Old Tala, Tellers of Tales. Sia joins me now from Apia. Sia, Talofa Lava. Talofa Lava. <laughs> Sia, Scotland is a long way from the Pacific Islands. What brought this author, Robert Louis Stevenson, to Samoa?
0: Hmm. Well several reasons uh he was a, an adventurous writer but besides that he was really someone who was sick he was sick from tuberculosis and was advised by his doctor to seek a warmer climate for his health which is really why he came this direction but it wasn't really tuberculosis that brought him to Samoa but rather the fact that there was a postal service uh, and Samoa was conveniently located in that route from New Zealand to Samoa to San Francisco. And so as far as correspondence for him uh, as a writer with his publishers, that was really the reason why he chose Samoa. Wow. Uh, He was a colonist how was he received in samoa well i mean everyone that came from you know the outside whether they were american german or in this case british uh, they were all colonists the difference with stevenson is that he was hmm he, it's a very complicated situation with Stevenson, <laughs> because while he was a colonist, he was one who had, if 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 we're to speak frankly, he was for the indigenous people and and someone with a moral compass. Um, I mean Stevenson was was not your typical colonist, you know, who came here to conquer and to take land away from people. Though, having said that, it's ironic because he did purchase 314 acres of land. Just how famous was he back then? Well, when Stevenson uh, arrived in New York on his last tour, he, there was such a huge line waiting for him for people to sign his books. And he was actually the first to coin the phrase that if Christ were to arrive that day, his lines would be longer, you know. <laughs> you know, long that would ten
1: As you mentioned, Stevenson purchased land and lived in a mansion on a massive acreage. What did that mean for locals of Ailema in terms of
0: work? Well, fascinating because Stevenson arrives and, uh, you know, after that purchase and, of course, then realises that he needs to establish himself as a writer who was read by Samoans and so he writes uh, the bottle imp in English, which is about this imp that lives in a bottle, and uh, whoever has the bottle can um, can wish three wishes, you know. And so this, of course, is an old German folk tale that Stevenson had transformed into something. Uh, of his own by having the main characters being Hawaiians, they were Hawaiians, uh, because Stevenson did spend time in Hawaii with King Kalakaua and his sister Queen Liwakalani, while when the Hawaiian uh, when the Hawaiian Islands were still islands not ceded by the United States, so Stevenson really wanted Samoans to read him. And so he, along with a missionary named Glaxton, they translated the bottle imp into Samoan. So by 1892, Samoans were reading Robert Lee Stevenson in mm-hmm. Samoan. It was the first story in Samoan besides the Holy Bible, uh, wow. which had already been translated in 1872, Right. By the same missionary. So what is very interesting is that ones thought that Stevenson must have had the bottle. Because look, <laughs> all this land was bought. Look, this mansion was built, you know. <laughs> so I mean, do- <laughs> that there was indeed a bottle and it was hidden somewhere <laughs> in the mansion <laughs> not, no it's true and, and there's even a character in my play who goes to Vailima to be employed and he he's in fact looking for the bottle <laughs> and his mother tells him don't come home until you find it <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, see. So let's talk about your play. Tellers of Tales focuses on workers at Stevenson's property. Why tell their story?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, for the last, I mean, next year, a uh, two thousand twenty-four would be a hundred. Would make a hundred and thirty years since Stevenson's death. Stevenson oh. died on December third, uh, eighteen ninety-four. Um, and for all those 130 years, Tusi Tala, the word Tusi Tala, has been kidnapped solely by this, you know, this tuberculosis-stricken Scottish writer. So um, in, it is now 130 years, and it's time for Samoans to claim that title as their own and be the tellers of tales from that period.
1: What kind of perspective does the show present us with?
0: I mean, it's historic fiction. Let's get that clear first. This is actually the first time that I've read this much for a book. and um so it was you know, after four years of looking, reading, um, you know, getting to know a little bit more about Stevenson, it was really then that I realized that. We have perspectives of everyone, Fanny, his mother, Margaret, his children, stepchildren, um, Isabel and Lloyd. And then we even have Austin, who was Isabel's son and died a playwright. We even have his perspectives on Stevenson, but really none from a One point of view which i found very fascinating and beguiled me even more into knowing about stevenson and um and and really that's that's what we see in the play is these Mm. samoans who did not know that stevenson was a writer or that he was a man of, of of the world he was a very Worldly man who traveled a lot, they just knew him as this man who employed them, you know. Yeah. And so their their actions towards him, him are very without any reverence, you know, of him as so and so, but just, just I get, I suppose, just the normal um, way someone's responded to white men in that time era, in that era. But, uh, of course, as time, as the years went on, and Stevenson really did only spend four years in Samoa, up at Lai and it was as the years went on that they formed a bond with him. And he was really very fascinated about the Samoans Uh, themselves. And so it made that relationship really, I guess, special in a way. You know, um, they formed bonds that someone did not necessarily form with their, you know, with other white employers at the time because they saw that Stevenson really did have an interest in them. One of the play's characters
1: is Pulu, a Fafafine who has an unrequited love affair with Stevenson, who is married to Fanny Vandergrift. Why did you write this character in?
0: Well, um, the character of Pulu was, was really inspired by all of my friends who are mostly Fafafine. And it was so important to me that a Fafafine, that a Fafafine character is in the play, you know. Mm. Um, it seems like with anything historical, we we kind of avoid farfinge characters, you know, with this assumption that they didn't exist. Yeah. and I think they were they were very much alive. <laughs> I wanted that to be known. Stevenson, you must also know, was a very um, there was a homoerotic sense about him. He was very thin and, uh, men were attracted to him. Um, for me, having this character, Pulu in Samoa, who, I mean, how dare I write a character that was attracted to Stevenson, you know? <laughs> um, and yet that's what perhaps happened is is my uh take of it uh, as a writer. The possibility mm. of that happening is very real.
1: Yeah. Can you share some of Pulu's monologue?
0: Some of Pulu's monologue. Let me have a look. He comes in in scene 5. All right. So Pulu, kitchen boy. He's uber dramatic, affected, effeminate. There's something like the smell of freshly baked bread. The whole house smells of it. I loved it when Our lily gave me my first baking lesson. It was Thanksgiving, an American holiday with a peculiarly interesting tale about how the natives shared their food with their colonizers. How sweet! as sweet as the apple pies and turkey and ham and mashed and sweet potatoes we made that day. It was heaven! (laughs) But the bestest is when Tusi stands next to me in the kitchen and I can smell his musk, his raw masculinity, which is an entirely different thing from bread. Let me tell you. Showing me how to make a sauce or mayonnaise as if I didn't know. You separate the egg yolk into a bowl like so. Then you leave the egg white for something else in another bowl. Then you whisk. <laughs> vigorously, while adding oil and a dash of lemon, slowly into the mixture. Oh, eh! Eh, <laughs> voila! You're tan, Tuzitala! you Ten. I love you! Go, go, ila, go! Now you've got to pop this silliness out, Pulu! Ow! Ow! ow. Ah, uh, 49er. Look at what young Pulu made just now. A new twist to the old male recipe. Hmm, did he now? Not bad, Pulu. Not bad at all. There are days when I wish a boulder would roll down via and crush Fanny to death. <laughs> And then there are other days when I wish that same boulder would run down via and crush Tusi and me together, like Romeo and Juliet. Only I am Juliet, of course, crushed under my beloved Tusi together forever.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, brilliant. You're listening to Stories from the Pacific on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Bobby McCumber and I'm speaking with prolific Samoan writer Sia Figel about her most recent work, a one-person show called O Tusitala, Tellers of Tales. Oh, Sia, this play was four years in the making. You premiered it in yeah. Samoa earlier this yeah. year. Where did that happen in uh-huh. Samoa?
0: Well, um, I arrived in Samoa on the 11th of January, and then I said to myself, I need to start writing because there's one thing to have all this research done and another to put it all together, you know, and up until then, I really didn't have a hook. You know, I didn't know what I was going to write about until towards the end of January when I made a visit up to Vailima, I actually went up there and it was a very rainy day. And I saw how the workers had just ran towards the building and started, you know, sweeping it and and started protecting the house from the rain. And that was really when I realized that these are the silent people who make up so much of the of of Stevenson's narrative and I think they're the ones that need to be prioritized in whatever I'm about to write and it was really then you know at the end of January that I started writing and I think I finished in mid-April and our Mm -hmm. premiere was on May the 30th (laughs) The, a, a day before um, Samoan's uh, independence so, from New Zealand. So it was all sort of strategically done so that it coincided with, with Independence Day. You opened
1: a theatre to premiere it, is that right?
0: Yes, yes, I did. I had to because there was no place for it to be staged. And so my parents used to have a restaurant back in the 70s called Fia Fia Steakhouse. And, you know, it's been sitting here dormant for so many years, and I just decided to turn it into a, a theater where we feed people's minds, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we are now. We're Nalumana Theater, and it was quite shocking that the premiere was so well attended by just so many people, especially from the National University of Samoa, um, that the the whole English department was here, and just theater goers, you know, who have no other place to go. And uh, we had three showings here. And on our second show, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister Tuala Punafasio showed up with his family. And on the third show, our very own um, Madam Prime Minister showed up for it. So, you know, the play has had, for me, I mean, just a very unexpected um, calibre of people showing up.
1: What kind of response did the Prime Minister have to your show? It's
0: exciting. Well, I mean, she was, let me just say, she was, it was, I, I am speechless when it comes to her because her, well, because her forefather, I mean, her relative, Mata'afa, is, was one of Stevenson's closest allies. But she had so many questions to ask that night. It was just wonderful because afterwards, the people, we had sort of a QA and a and people were so fascinated by Stevenson and, and just about by Lima that they wanted to ask and ask and ask more questions. So it was very, it was, it was such a huge compliment. What was the most popular so, question you had that night? Um. Hmm. Well, you know, because the really talking about the the road. I mean, the arc of the play is that we we go on eventually to this uh, road of loving hearts that was built by uh, the by these chiefs who were held captive and prisoners uh, uh, because they were um, they were allies of Mataafa. And so people were really interested in who built this road and why. Because the the road still exists now. It's the road of loving hearts. So having to explain to them that they were held captive because they were allies of Mata'afa. And when they were released from prison, they, um, they, as a tribute to Stevenson, who had visited them in prison, and brought them food and medicine and cigarettes, <laughs> um, uh, so that's that was really them returning that favor by mm. building a proper road for Stevenson uh, up to his house, um, I, I mean because a lot of things here, uh, especially in regards to Wailima and where Stevenson lives now, um, are just mysteries. You know, uh, people don't really know much o- about what happened up at Vailima. I mean, who knew that they were, that the Samoans had built tennis courts up there? You know, they were playing tennis at the end of the 19th century up at Vailima. <laughs> who would have thought that? You know? okay. um, just there were a uh, lot of things and that there was classical music, you know, there, there, there was classical music. People were dancing. The Highland fling, the uh, fling up there. There, there were so many things that 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 occurred uh, that we would never associate with Valima. And, of course, that fabulous uh, statue of Rodin that you spoke of in your uh, introduction uh, that was that was something that was really uh shocking to some of the Samoans when they saw it because of course, the missionaries told them that was sinful you know to view mm. such a Uh, (laughs) A a, a piece of art, which at the time, we have to know that Rodin was not all, um, I mean, the reason why that statue was in Stevenson's possession is because he had stood up for Rodin at a time when people were against seeing uh, the nude body intertwined like so, you know. And it was Stevenson who had, who who, who said, no, this is art, you know, you fools. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and so, and that's why Rodin gave an earlier sample of the, yeah, of that statue to Stevenson. I'm so glad you caught on to that. <laughs> it's so interesting. Zia, uh, uh, you took
1: this show to Edinburgh Fringe, to Stevenson's home country of Scotland. What was the opening like there?
0: I mean, I knew, and I know from my own acting abilities and what I'm able to do with the script, I, I know... What the response would have been? I was very confident in what was what I was taking. I was not afraid. I wasn't scared. I was just I knew that this is good stuff, you know. I mean, I said to myself, it's a privilege for you to see what I'm bringing <laughs> about <your> this. <treatment." laughs> I love it. I know. I know. <laughs> but when I got there, when I got there, I mean, I came with this very you know, with this <laughs> this idea of myself. And then I was completely disarmed by the Scots themselves who were so, their response was so moving. You know, they giggled. They sometimes even laughed out loud, especially to <laughs> Pulu and Stevenson. Um, and then... And then there was this really, there were moments of moving silence where you could drop a pin and hear it, you know, towards the very end where there were obvious sniffles in the audience, you know, towards the very last second of the play. And that really moved me to tears. I mean, I was crying at the very last line. I mean, I was like, I was okay up until that last line when I heard them sniffling and, and I can just sense the teary, they were teary eyed and they were so moved that, (laughs) that it, it moved me because that I did not expect, you know, it was just such intense emotion. Mm. Um, And so that, that's the thing that theater does, you know, theater, theater has this, this ability to create magic between the audience and the performer. And that is, that's the one word that I could think of.
1: Sia, how did you feel returning from the Edinburgh run and that amazing audience energy?
0: Well, <clears throat> it's a very good question. Of course, you know, I'm not just coming, I'm not just returning from the fringe. I'm, talk, I'm returning from Scotland. I'm returning from Edinburgh. I'm returning from London, Los Angeles, Auckland, from all these countries where the, you know, where the plane has to stop. I mean, I, I'm now back to Samoa, tiny little island in the middle of the Pacific, and I am being asked by the Rugby World Cup uh, in Paris my opinions on the World Cup. Um <laughs> It's something that's not really my forte, rugby. I am now returning to the very quiet of the owl that cries in my bamboo tree behind my house. It's just such a very different pace altogether, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just trying to... Climatize, if that's even a right word and just being very aware however of forces that are um, that are impacting our world like climate change for instance and so at the same time I'm telling myself I really need a rest until <laughs> the end of the year. Before I start something else, because this can be quite taxing, especially something that I've done, you know, in a whirlwind, it was just, um, oh, you know, it's time to now just exhale. You know, and just realize you are a citizen of the world (laughs) and yet you live in a place that is where everyone knows who you are, who your family is. Mm -hmm. I live right next to the road. So it's now just trying to be anonymous in a place where that doesn't allow you that at all, as you know. Um, so it's just really exhaling. And what I'm doing right now is I am, um, starting a garden. Ah oh, um, lovely. Uh, at the end when when Robert Louis Stevenson does come on in the play his last thing is you know thank you for all the chiefs that have come here to build this road but really what i want of all of you is to build gardens you know <laughs> use your land to, this is what he says and i <laughs> said to myself you know what I think I'm going to follow Stevenson's advice and actually build a garden. So that's kind of like what I'm trying to do right now. That's beautiful.
1: Sia, thank you so much for getting these Samoan perspectives out to the world. Faftai Lava.
0: Well, thank you all for listening. And our <laughs> theatre needs chairs. So whoever wants to donate to that cause, they can contact your radio station. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, thank you again, Sia. That was Samoan writer Sia Fagel. You've been listening to Stories from the Pacific. I'm Bobby McCumber. To catch more great stories about incredible people from the Pacific, just search for ABC Pacific. And to get in touch with the program, email storiesfromthepacific at abc.net.au. This story was produced on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people.